This episode of the Humans of Agriculture podcast was recorded live on location on Yagara and Turbul country. We like to pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. G'day and welcome to the Humans of Agriculture podcast. This morning I'm sitting down with Claire Maloney. We recorded this episode while we're out at the Australian Organics Conference last week and Claire was part of the Consumer Insights uh, panel and she started to talk about some of the research that her communications and social impact agency the bravery worked on and I was just like okay Claire we need to chat after this session during a talk Claire mentioned some research which her company the bravery had commissioned firstly looking at what issues are Aussies most passionate about and how to best wield the power for change this led on to their second piece of work who do you believe the work looked at which brands do Australians believe are truly making a difference in the sustainability revolution do consumers believe what they are seeing and hearing and which brands are cutting through? To be honest, the companies that the average consumer saw as sustainable was pretty eye-opening and, to be frank, mind-blowing. Um, yeah, mining companies and things were up there, which just doesn't seem right. So there's a huge opportunity there for businesses that are doing good to actually communicate and share their story. And so I thought I'd sit down with Claire to find out more about the bravery the work that they're doing in the communications and social impact space, as well as how she ended up down this path and what impact and change she hopes that she can be part of through her work. Enjoy the chat. Um, but yeah, some of the best stories that we're starting to this year try and go out and find um, more stories for these people is of the growers. Because when you actually end up in sort of any kind of like large scale, you know, ag or hort sort of facility, I just think, you know, people go to Bunnings and they buy that little, you know, pot plant and they, you know, take it home and hopefully it survives. But when you mm. actually see, like, the care and the passion and the commitment from these people to, like, you know, grow, like, huge swathes of, um, you know, different plants and things like that, it's, it's actually really beautiful and sort of eye-opening. Yeah. yeah. Now, I was chatting to a cotton grower only recently and it was so, like, obviously spends all day growing plants and then he, he goes home, just loves gardening. It's like, yeah. that's passion yeah. in terms of just, yeah. Yeah, I definitely have a plant addiction. Do you? Too many. Yeah. <laughs> in the office as well? Uh, we've actually just moved offices, but we are about to green it. Yeah, it's going to be the final, the final reveal will probably be about, yeah, I'd say, I don't know, I've, I've asked for 50 plants, I think we'll end up with 30. But, yeah, I'm pretty wow. – uh, I just love being around greenery. It's so beautiful. Do you beautiful. choose your clients, like, based off of this? And you'd be like, hey, guys, we do, how about we do a bit of work with you in exchange for – so this is what we're chasing. There's definitely – the fees. There's always definitely some perks. Um, obviously, working with pucker, um, yeah, the office is always full of beautiful tea. And it's yeah. actually really lovely when the pucker tea comes in because it just fills the entire space with, like, the most beautiful, like – herbal sort of smells like even just opening up the chamomile box you just instantly feel so relaxed opening it yeah instead of air fresheners you just yeah exactly we just open the tea (laughs) too easy um we're good we're running aren't we cool easy um can you tell us a little bit about what the bravery is and, and what you do claire yeah so um i started the bravery 10 years ago Um, We're a public relations, communications and social media agency uh, and we focus exclusively on sustainability and social cause and purpose work. Um, One of the things that sort of is really like the tenets of the business is we believe that um, storytelling and really compelling, beautiful, powerful storytelling can actually be an agent of change to change the world and change people's minds. So 
every single thing we do in the business is focused on, you know, better outcomes for people and the planet and communities. And, yeah, we use any storytelling tool, you know, in the toolkit <laughs> that we can to get that across. Yeah. And so how did you land in this space? What, what got you interested in? Mm. Would you say, are you, are you a storyteller? I am. I actually wanted to be a journalist um, before I went into PR, but exclusively within sort of the sustainability and the social cause space, I actually go all the way back to my childhood and I actually grew up on a farm, on a property um, outside of Canberra near a little town called Bunyandor. Mm. And, um, yeah, that was really sort of cementing and grounding for me from, you know, day dot. And, yeah, we had beef cattle, rare herd, like rare breeds, small herds, um, rare herd, there we go. Um, but, uh, you know, and just had all of the things that lots of people are trying to focus on now, like composting, you know, being really mindful about what we bought, um, you know, a proper sort of kitchen garden and things like that. And just that deep connection to nature and the planet is hugely important for me. Um, you know, I'm a city girl, live in Sydney um, and work in a very like dense urban area and every single time I go, we've got another farm now sort of um, near uh, Braidwood in New South Wales but every single time I go back onto the farm, it's literally, it's almost like the second my feet touch the dirt after I jump out of the car, it's like this hugely grounding moment. And so I have a real like fierce protection of um, nature and the planet and wanting to, you know, I guess, like, express the urgency that I feel in this space through my work. And I think I'm really, really, really lucky to be able to do that, actually, every single day. Was it something that was hard to, to land on? So, you, like, you were chatting before, your background in waste management and stuff, but then going and starting your own business, did, did it come easily in this sustainability social cause space? Um, it came pretty easily, yeah. So I've done... All of actually my waste work has actually been in the last 10 years with the business. Um, So I'd actually not done, um, yeah, as I said uh, before, like I've spent now a lot of time in, um, yeah, landfills, organic waste facilities. And honestly, 10 years ago, if you told me starting my own PR agency in sustainability that that would be the case, I probably would have actually thought that was a little bit weird. Um, But now, you know, it's sort of just part of sort of like the day-to-day But um, prior to the bravery, I actually worked um, in a comms role in international aid and development, Um, so working with a women's not-for-profit and, you know, providing support for healthcare public uh, advocacy campaigns here in Australia and um, 12 country programs throughout Asia-Pacific, also UAE and um, Tanzania. So uh, that really cemented as well for me that I was definitely always going to have a career based in, you know, sort of I guess like a really deep values proposition about, you know, helping other people. Um, my prior work to that uh, was actually in um, – I started out in the fashion sector and also um, working for another large sort of multinational PR agency, which you just – if you go into a mainstream agency, which is still the same today, you know, you can work on anything from – Um, you know, a telecommunications company, probably a large like, you know, oil and gas company, followed by, you know, maybe some kind of like cool not-for-profit work every now and then. But it just, um, yeah, it didn't really sort of, you know, make me want to like dive out of bed every morning. So realising that I could actually create and make a career um, based in sort of, you know, big, hairy, like complex and also purpose-based, you know, issues. Um, Yeah, I realised that's where I had to go. What's the impact that 
kind of you want to have on the world through yeah you as Claire? Gosh, big question. Just um, the easy ones to start. Uh, yeah, just like <laughs> rip rip that bandaid off. The impact I want to have. Um, I really take quite seriously that. Um, I think my life's work needs to be also a civic and a civil responsibility. Um, I've never really been, you know, and I I still don't own my own home and that might be an issue, but I've never really been sort of super motivated by the dollar. Um, It's obviously everyone wants to get paid for what they do and we're really lucky if we get paid really well. Um, But that's not why I'm here. I'm here because, you know, you are given an opportunity with the work part of your life, which is where you will spend the most amount of time than anywhere else, even sleeping, you know, and I wanted to make sure as well that it was really important for me that the impact that I have in that time, because time is the precious, the most precious thing that I have, that it is used to really try and champion as much change, particularly around environmental protection, um, you know, climate change and also, you know, basically just improving people's lives. So that's the impact, yeah, that I want to have using that time to my greatest benefit to contribute to, you know, a better sort of civic and civil society. Is it something which like working on, and I think we'll get to the me, we, us part mm. of it all, but in terms of like have you found that you've, uh, particularly in your own business, that you've dived and dodged and ducked in terms of like just trying to, yeah, nearly question yourself at different times of like knowing kind of who you are but then also doing the work that you're trying to do and yeah working out which is the lane that you kind of sit in yeah so and also I guess like kind of like you know all those fun things that come with starting your own business and and being a entrepreneur which I said for people listening in air quotes Um, (laughs) but yeah uh so I started the business when I was 28 which is fairly audacious um I realized really early on uh, I sort of have this expression and I talk to my team actually about it all the time about any of the work that we do um I had every right to be there I also had no right to be there um and part of as well like working out um the work that we do and also you know how we're going to go about it it's based in some quite like I guess like humility for what we do and what we don't know Um, and that has actually, I guess, like having that approach has served me really well because it's meant, you know, if I walk into any room, I know I have a right to be there, but I also am like crucially aware of the huge body of work from so many different people across the sustainability and social cause space. And, you know, even at this event here today, you know, we're talking with and working with people that have been doing this work for 30, 40 50 years, multi-generational families as well, you know, trying to see progress on, you know, better agricultural, better farming practices. And it's it's about really remaining, I guess, like switched on to um, curiosity and sitting with that humility because if you acknowledge that you kind of don't know anything, of course you know some stuff, yeah. it means that you will fundamentally always be really curious to go out and learn and talk to people. And it's just, it's really actually at the cornerstone of a lot of the work that we do. It's about diving really deeply into these different issues. Like we call it kind of geeking out or nerding out, but it's just like, you know, reading all of the reports, talking to people, 
and knowing exactly where you are within your lane, as you'll say, um, but also being aware that, you know, you can probably build a few more highways if you actually just sort of like, you know, listen and lean into the sector. In in terms of the, the role that storytelling has, so in the PR space, like what are you seeing as – I'll say storytelling is really starting to emerge and it's something which I'm kind of fascinated mm. by in terms of if we think of like – I actually, well, I wanted to go and do some studies overseas and look at, because through the lens of what role does storytelling have in agriculture mm. in terms of how it's passed knowledge in terms of, say, society groups, mm. Indigenous Australians, it's gone mm. for thousands of years. But then you look at the likes of, say, Disney and Pixar and Apple and how they've used storytelling mm. to really kind of create understanding on key messages and issues. Yeah. Like, what, what What's the type of role that storytelling has in the work that, you guys are doing with your clients well it simply put it just makes people feel something you know if you can engage someone emotionally and in 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 the broad huge spectrum of emotion including even anger or rage or you know um if you can just shift the dial a little bit from a neutral indifferent or uncaring position to one of even just a little bit of interest peaked you are potentially taking people on a journey that is going to change their purchases, change their behaviour, maybe even change their life and be part of a group of people that can create action on different things. So for me, storytelling is like at the heart of um, a lot of what we kind of, you know, comms sort of, I guess, like theory around like um, behavioural communication change and Every single, um, you know, sector and client that we work with at The Bravery, they are trying to change something and it's often either a perception, um, you know, influence and in where power lies as well or like getting, you know, people that purchase their products or, you know, that buy their services to do something a little bit different. And so one of the ways that we harness storytelling is, you know, getting people on that kind of interest spectrum. So, the one way you do that is through emotion. Uh, we often as well kind of talk to people a little bit about, like even if we're talking to journalists, we sort of say, you know, can I, can I tell you a bit of a story? It's like, you know, we've often got some really sort of like, you know, older, um, you know, members of the community out there in um, media as well and have had like, you know, huge careers and they actually really do like to sit down and have a yarn. Yeah. And one of the things that is also, I think, at the heart of this, um, you know, emotion-based and powerful storytelling is people. You know, people are always, and that human interest is always going to be really powerful because people inherently are seeking out human connection and understanding um, around, you know, like, and relatability to their life. So it's like, you know, I can, you know, relate more now to this issue because I've heard, you know, how it's affected you or I can relate more to this product because I've been really inspired by the founder's story of what's made, you know, her so passionate about, um, you know, wanting to work in this space. And so, yeah, storytelling is just about trying to shift that emotional dial so people feel differently, do differently, are different. Hey, it's Nick here, Sheep Farmer and Rabobank Regional Client Council member. I'm passionate about supporting our local community so we can improve community wellbeing and build strong local economies. My job as a client council member is to help secure funding for regional grassroots initiatives. Those that support education in ag, rural health, sustainability and help bridge the country city divide. We've helped organisations like Boys to the Bush, 
funded school field days like Ag Vision, and held succession planning workshops, just to name a few. If you have an idea to make a difference to regional Australia, go to our website at www.rabobank.com.au and nominate via our community fund. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah. And on that storytelling piece, and kind of you touched on when it comes to people understanding issues and then connecting to it, um, inside, I... I've only picked up part of it, but you mentioned this framework of the me, we, yeah. us piece. Can you explain that yeah. to me? So I'm not going to pretend to sort of like own this. I can't remember where it came from, though. That's, <laughs> but a, it's that's as good a reference as you can get. <laughs> exactly. Anonymous. <laughs> Anonymous. But obviously, you know, um, flattery is, you know, it's like imitation is the most uh, sincere form of flattery. So It might come um, out of the woodwork. <laughs> One of our listeners <laughs> might have come yeah, up with that. They'll, they'll probably hit Google on yeah. it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we use this framework quite a bit when we're trying to explore um, what issues a brand or a business might tackle. So we, me and us. So it's a bit hard because I know people will be listening to this, but imagine a triangle and you've sort of turned it upside down. So now the biggest base of the triangle is at the top. Mm-hmm. We use that as well as a like visual reference to sort of show people that lots and lots of research shows that when you engage people on an emotional level about who like something that affects them as an individual, it gets the largest piece of catchment. Then as you move to um, we, which is like things that ha- are around that person's life, so their friends, their family, um, things that happen at their local community, that gets a little bit less engagement because it's, you know, essentially it's taking it one step further removed from, you know, things that are about the individual, you know, the things that I put in or on my body or use every single day. And then finally, at the very bottom of the triangle, which is like the smallest catchment you can get, that's actually sort of like the peak if the triangle's upside down, um, is the us. And these are the issues of huge global importance. So COVID, climate change, um, air pollution, uh, you know, it might even be, you know, female empowerment and gender equality. And if you start engaging an individual often about a topic or issue that's at that sort of us category one you're going to make it tremendously more hard for yourself to engage a large group of people you'll engage the super converted and interested people on that topic um, but it'll also as well just have a little bit less impact and so a lot of the work that we do with brands is about getting them to see that if I start with the individual issues that affect me as a person and potentially even take your consumers on a journey over time through then how that issue can scale to the we sort of group, which is, you know, at the community or the local level or within their family or their friends or their workplace, and then moving it on to then us and how it connects there. You're going to take a lot more people on that process and be a lot more successful with your storytelling and communications. Hmm. I feel like I'm going to ask you some questions and like free free consulting advice here. No, because and, and this is the thing, say, with human humans of agriculture. Like when I think of the role that agriculture plays, when I like over the years, so I've been kind of playing with it on the side, but um, now doing it full time. When I think of the kind of the real impact that I see agriculture as a whole, it probably really sits in that us category where I think agriculture can be a vehicle for a world that's happier, healthier and more prosperous. But then when I think of, yeah, how do we talk about, well, when it comes to bigger and divisive topics, like I think of, well, let's do a series on the role of 
um, how farmers are addressing climate change now. But would your advice be to actually go spend the time going back into within inside the the people along that supply chain, but go, okay, let's talk about the people who are producing it, then people who are moving it, transporting yeah. the middle people, and then the consumers and mm. really just focusing on them as individuals and what kind of matters to them? Yeah, I think it's a combination of things. And to be clear as well, like this we, me, we, us framework, um, it's not exclusive as well. So it doesn't mean, for example, so it's like I'm going to try and come up with a hypothetical for us to sort of explain this well. Yeah. Um, I'm going to pick a carrot company. There we go. So we are a carrot grower. We're producing beautiful organic carrots. We've got, um, you know, local members of the community are employed. We're a huge employer in that area. You know, um, we're really connected to the community. And, of course, you know, we're just say like we've got like, you know, 50% of the organic market share for organic carrots in Australia. So we also know that our amazing, you know, top quality, both nutritional and also from its production prop you know, product is is going into consumers and is better for them. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that if we just want to talk about kind of almost like these sort of like product benefits or what we've done in the process of producing that carrot to the consumer, that that's the only thing that we talk to the consumer about. But particularly if you're talking about trying to capture the minds of a, a new purchaser, that is probably always going to be like, you know, the best and most successful catchment spot. Mm-hmm. But also, if we think about that sort of like inverted kind of like, you know, triangle structure, there's still also then going to be those consumers and people that want to purchase that carrot that are also interested in, or what are you also doing at the sort of more community and local level? And what are you doing about the biggest issues of our time? Mm-hmm. So they'll be looking for that organic certification and wanting to know that, you know, this is like, you know, it's the best possible carrot I can ever eat. Um, but they'll also be wanting to look for those other elements. So they might want to know that, yeah, you're a large-scale employer and maybe you also work with, you know, some different sort of like, you know, upskilling, like, you know, like different organisations in the local community. Maybe you also like, you know, support some different of the local schools with like, you know, snacks for the kids. And then you might also be, for example, signed up for 1% of the planet, which means 1% of every single piece of your profits are going towards a large-scale funding mechanism to enable climate change. Mm-hmm. And so you can kind of see that it's like, you do still touch on all of the components of that story, but then it's also about determining for yourself, well, how much territory do I want to give over for those three stories? Yeah. And it does depend who you're talking to because if you're talking, for example, to, um, you know, consumers or like, you know, purchases of fruit and veg en masse at say like, you know, a really large like cooking demonstration show or market, you'd probably want to stay in that like, you know, what's in it for me category. Mm -hmm. But if you were going into, let's say like, you know, more of a a smaller organic market or in an area as well that you know is a little bit more deep green, Mm -hmm. um, you'd definitely want to probably like dial up a little bit more of the territory on some of those other bigger issues that you're talking about. So it's a framework to kind of help you decide how you're going to motivate um, and also where and when you tell those stories. But it's definitely not exclusionary as mm-hmm. well to all the rest of it. Yeah. Yeah, right. Now, that makes sense. And in the in the piece of, say, that carrot company, like that, that's everything that sits behind their brand, like yeah. three stories in essence, but that's the whole shebang. Exactly. And this is also why as well, it's like I think sometimes people feel kind of frustrated within like, 
you know, businesses that are doing really good things for people on the planet because they're kind of like, you know, we're doing all of this stuff and we don't have to do it. And it's like, but do people really care? And it's kind of like they get a bit frustrated sometimes if they go really hard on the big picture part of like, you know, we're, we're tackling climate change and we're also as well, you know, making sure that like just say you're in an area with huge issues of water scarcity and supply and we're doing like, you know, 50% less water use than sort of our neighbours down the road. So you should care about that. And when they don't see traction on those, like, you know, those messages sometimes with the consumer, they can get really frustrated. And I totally appreciate that. It's like it's really hard to kind of go above and beyond and then sometimes sit back and feel like nobody's cared. Yeah. But the reality is is the research that we have done recently actually shows that the consumer does care. They are thinking about it with their product purchases and that, in fact, is highly indexing as well with younger generations. So they are really switched on to this, our, um, our younger millennials and our, um, our Gen Ys. Um, and they will also pay more for these products. So it doesn't mean that you stop doing those things. It's almost kind of like you've just got to keep doing them and also constantly be repeating the things that you are doing. Like, you know, don't just say that you're, you know, like doing all this amazing like water reduction work once yeah. and go, oh, it didn't really float. Pardon the pun. Um, but you've got to, like, say it again and again and again and in multiple different places and in the right places and you might even need to say it for, like, five years until finally you might be standing at Melbourne Food and Wine Show and you've got, you know, Adam Liao making a zesty carrot salad and finally someone goes, oh, I've been buying your products because I'm really passionate about water in this country and I really love all the work that you're doing there. Yeah, It's like, and it's also really unusual as well for those super fans, as we kind of call them, to like even, you know, pop their little head up and like say hi and and actually own that stuff but it is kicking around in their brains it's part of the reason why they're buying your product yeah yeah it's fascinating gold branding is an interesting space isn't it? <laughs> it is yeah um I, I know you've probably got other people to talk no, to as well okay. <laughs> but um just so in terms of the, the research reports mm. that you guys have done yeah. um power and the passion was one and yeah. i've forgotten Who do the other you believe is the other yeah. you need like a some sort of rhyme or as you mentioned power and the passion was the song yeah power and the passion um that was uh yeah named um after a very um funny evening during lockdown when i was yeah kicking around on some sort of australiana um spotify um sheets uh sort of yeah like lists on on late at night um <laughs> and also i actually just loved uh the connection as well into um the band and everything that they'd done as well around environmental protection and first nations work so it felt really fitting um yeah so power and the passion i, I guess yeah i really just wanted to understand like what do australians care about mm. like like what do you care about what is kicking around in that like the mind when you're you know thinking about these big issues and um, how much do you care? And then we did our research project on that. And obviously it, it came out that um, unprompted, the number one issue that Australians, and this is obviously a 2000 representative sample as well. So it's, you know, heading towards as well the size that's like, you know, pretty robust in terms of like we're moving away from sort of a 500 people representative sample. It's getting up into over 2,000. Mm -hmm. um, but the number one thing that they cared about was climate change followed by COVID. That was really uh, just so comforting actually in a very dark time um, during some of those first lockdowns because we were really worried that 
you know, consumers and people in Australia would start going, you know, oh, I'm, I'm really only going to care about like really deeply about the me and about that sort of like, you know, health and, and safety and maybe also less about some of these other big issues, which mm. let me be extremely clear, are going to affect the me very heavily and very hard. And so what we obviously saw is, so this was conducted in um, 2021, um, what we saw was uh, that, no, they did still really care about those environmental issues. And I think when we think about things that might also be sort of like shifting the dial on that, I think the 2019 bushfires really shocked and changed so many people's perceptions about um, the reality of extreme and increasing weather um, in Australia and how many people that would affect. You know, it's pretty hard to ignore what's going on when you are walking through your city every single day for months and you cannot breathe. And so it's sort of an issue that affects people that live in rural and regional areas, but it was coming down really hard into the city. And I think that kind of changed a lot for Australians. It's, it's a Christmas and a summer that I think for so many generations that they will never, ever, ever forget. Mm. And so Power and the Passion basically looked at what they were most passionate about. But then, of course, I was like, well, but all these passions are really great and they've told us what they as well they want brands and businesses to do but here's the rub, who can actually make change? And so that's when the power component of the report came in because you can't ever look at really difficult things that are really hard to change without looking at who has the power to do so. And once you actually start looking at some of those, like, you know, structural systems of power that sit across, like, you know, large corporations, um, you know, that control, like, the most amount of economic wealth, um, also generational um, structures and like who sits on like, you know, the most amount of net worth, who owns, a, you know, a home and so is therefore more stable um, and also governments who, you know, can enable policy but also funding to make these huge differences. We felt like it was actually really unfair to sort of like ask Australians, what do you really care about and what do you want to see happen on these issues but to not also sort of show them the kind of one, two, three toolkit for how to make change. Yeah. Um, and like... That's a huge part of my work as well that's really important to me is also not constantly telling all these people that we have all these problems and, one, that they don't have the tools to change them, but, two, that there's individual responsibility on them to make those changes. That is so fundamentally unfair. Like, I am really encouraged by all of the different individual actions that come out of Australia through like reducing plastic waste by taking my shopping bag to the supermarket, making sure I've got my keep cup, you know, shifting my, you know, um, like uh, energy usage to a green provider. But the reality of all of this within the structures that we live within is it does come down to money and it does come down to who can control and affect that money. Yep. So, it's also one of the reasons why I actually say to people when they go, what can I do? And I'm kind of like, oh, you know, like you know, eating a considered diet. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, oh, and I'm like, I'm, you know, recycling and I'm even maybe like, you know, going above and beyond and using like container deposit scheme recycling and things like that. And they're like, but I feel so helpless. What can I do? And I'm like, the number one thing that you can do is move your money. So superannuation is like an amazing construct in Australia. It is the largest amount of money that you will ever sit on in your entire life. Move it and move it into businesses that are actually doing, you know, ethical and responsible and sustainable 
investments because again they'll take your small amount of super and suddenly it's a you know three trillion dollar like pot that can actually be used to invest in and change like what some of like you know the the companies of the future um that they need to be and they need to be highly sustainable and like you know net positive purpose and sustainable companies so it's kind of almost like you know not to sound dismissive but I'm like if you forget your keep cup every now and then I'm like it's okay you know still eat a lot of meat and dairy I'm kind of like you do you boo but also move your superannuation because there's no other more powerful thing that you could do as an individual yeah absolutely with, with the work and the businesses and brands that you're doing are you seeing more of a move in terms of the, the recognition and the role that agriculture and I'll, I'll say Agriculture, but through the lens of sustainable food and sustainable fashion Mm. is having on the world? Yeah, I mean, all, like, consumers are becoming and the purchases of those products are becoming a lot more savvy. And I'd say it's across, like, two points. So bear with me while I answer this in a bit of a long-winded way. When in Power and the Passion, we also ask consumers – what are sort of like three things that they would really like um, businesses uh, to do um, in terms of like tackling these issues in the future. And one of them was actually to be Australian made and produced. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was incredibly interesting when you look at, um, you know, like sort of like short-term consumables, like less for sort of like, you know, maybe a car manufacturer or things like that, but particularly for food products in the agricultural sector. Um, There's obviously a huge appetite out there for Australians to, you know, support Australian made. So we are seeing, I guess, like an increase and an uptake, particularly um, for consumers and purchasers uh, to be seeking out products that actually support the country that they live in. Great. Tick for everyone in ag. Now, the other thing, obviously, that they wanted people to do was consider to use like renewable sources of energy and also tackle climate change, which sat in line with the rest of the research that we looked at. So I kind of go, okay, well, now they're also trying to seek out not just Australian made, but also like sustainable companies and ones that are, you know, creating action and they want to support them with their purchases. So again, for the agricultural sector, because they are such, you know, um, consumers and users of resources across their entire supply chain, there is a really unique, again, opportunity there to be able to market yourselves, um, you know, more effectively to those consumers. And I would be saying like, you know, dial up all of that Australian made. There's such beautiful... um, storytelling and nostalgia as well for Australians about thinking about the um, traditional Australian farmer Mm. and people that work the land. We've been really blessed with the most beautiful and incredible country Um, and a lot of Australians feel immense pride as well for, for this beautiful place that we live in. So I think if you're within sort of that agricultural sector Yes, there's definitely sort of an emerging kind of like shift. And again, it is with those younger generations that they're seeking out, um, you know, particularly across like the food production sector, um, companies that are, you know, like looking after local people, contributing to the local economy and also being more sustainable. Mm. No, well, thank you. I reckon you've got such a cool job. Thank you. (laughs) I do too. And it's fascinating just to sit here and chat to you. I reckon I could just keep... (laughs) Throwing questions, but... And I would probably try to keep answering. Um, But, yeah, it's um, as I said, it's, like, I'm really humbled and, like, really um, just sort of, like, yeah, really just, yeah, humbled every single day to do the work that we do because, yeah, no right to be here, every right to be here. That's so cool. I love that. (laughs) Thanks, Claire. Thank you.
Well, guys, as always, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Humans of Agriculture podcast. If you like this episode, jump on our Facebook community, Humans of Agriculture, our community. If you haven't joined it, send in a request, jump on board, and um, love to hear some of your takeaways, what you found interesting from this chat. And uh, we'll also throw a link into Claire's research in there as well. Look after yourselves, stay safe, stay sane, and we'll see you soon.